worship team. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, the blood is flowing. Amen? Uh, I have a message uh, for you that I want to play on my phone. Uh, it is Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms here, to all the moms who are uh, watching, uh, listening. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, we're, well, I'll just, I'm just going to play the message. I'm going to play the message for you. Uh, Andy, are you ready for me? Okay. Bless the Lord. Hallelujah. Pleasant. Good morning. Coming from Jamaica, Katadupa. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Have a blessed day. Good morning. Good morning. Pleasant Mother's Day. Amen. You have a great day. And remember, God made you special. Let us pass this on to all the mothers in the church, all the mothers in your community. Amen. God bless you richly. Coming from us here in Jamaica, Catholupa. Amen. You have a blessed day. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. That is uh, Pastor Leroy Gordon. He pastors uh, Catadupa Christian Fellowship, our partner church in Jamaica. And he sent uh, that message to Lindsay uh, this morning. And we wanted to pass his good greetings uh, on to all of you as well. Um, you moms, uh, we celebrate. We celebrate you today. You, you deserve it. You <laughs> deserve to be honored and celebrated. Your value your value is immeasurable. It is immeasurable. And to all of you who mother, who mentor, who disciple, who care, who teach, who come alongside to mother, we value and treasure you as well. And we just want to say we, uh, we understand, you know, like the reality of a, of a day like today. Uh, and so the scriptures call us to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And so we understand and know also that Mother's Day uh, brings places of lament in our lives, places of longing and desire that are unfulfilled, uh, places of grief in our life. And so we want to say as we rightfully and joyfully rejoice with our moms and thank you and value you, we also want to say to those of you who are in a place of lament uh, today, we see you and we bless you. And we thank God for his compassion and his comfort and his healing in our lives. Um, and so we want to let uh, everyone know, like uh, all of you moms and all of you who mother, as you leave today, there's some flowers out the back door. I think there's some chocolates for you back there as well. And so we just want to give that gift to you. Make sure you grab those on the way out. Uh, and so we want to give that to you. And so once again, would, would, you just, would you just bless the moms in the room? If you are not a mom, would you join me in blessing and thanking God uh, for all of the moms in the room. Happy, happy Mother's, mother's Day. Amen. Amen. Uh, would you open your Bibles to uh, Galatians chapter 2 uh, this morning as we continue our series in the book of Galatians. This is week 4. Week four in this book. Are you guys enjoying the Galatians series? I am loving teaching this series. I am loving studying. I am loving the opportunity to be in this book and then to uh, bring a message to you each Sunday. And so I'm grateful for the feedback that we've already received about 
the blessing that this series uh, has already been and will continue to be, I pray, uh, for all of us. Um, the Apostle Paul uh, writes this letter to churches in Galatia, uh, churches that he planted, people that he evangelized, people that he reached. Uh, there's some trouble that got stirred up around legalism. And so he writes the book to these churches in, in Galatia. Um, Paul is, uh, he's, a, he's a grace preacher. Paul is a straight up, no apology, pure grace preacher. And he is a freedom fighter. And so this letter is about his desire for grace and freedom to reign in the churches. And he is in a war. Literally, he is in a war. He is warring with law preachers. So you got a freedom fighter and a grace preacher warring with law preachers who preach a false gospel message. And so we think about the book in general. It is grace versus the law. It is Freedom in Christ versus legalism. That is what is happening in this book. And this passage today uh, that we are going to get into, we're going to be in verses 1 to 14. Uh, it gets a little saucy uh, today. Paul is, uh, he, uh, he, he doesn't play, man. I'm telling you, he, the guy is not playing. He's not messing around like pure grace. And so it's going to get a little saucy today. The passion that he has is palpable. Um, and if you want, like, if, if real and authentic matters to you, like, people who are authentic, people that are real, like, what you see is what you get. Like, if you want that, uh, man, you're going you're gonna to love, uh, love today's message. And, and you're going to get that with the Apostle Paul. Um, he, even, he even comes and confronts Peter publicly. Uh, he, uh, Peter, we'll, we'll see this in a minute, he's acting hypocritically. And Paul calls him out in a public way uh, because Peter was acting with prejudice toward Gentile believers. Um, what Paul is fighting for uh, is not Jewish Christianity, okay? So he's fighting for, uh, and he's not fighting for Gentile Christianity. Paul is fighting for the truth of Christianity. And it's not, it's, for, for, for Paul, it's not either Jewish Christianity or Gentile. It's just, it's the way of Jesus. It is the new way of the new covenant reality of grace for him. Um, he is not fighting for Jesus plus Jewish laws and customs. He's not fighting for Jesus plus Moses. He's not fighting for a mixture of grace plus the law. He's actually fighting against that. He's fighting, he's fighting for the truth of Jesus alone, faith alone. This is the war. This is the fight that gets a little saucy uh, today. I want to bring something up for you. We, we put this up last week. This is the message that Paul is fighting for. And we'll see this uh, literally in every, every passage, every text that we get to in this book, we'll, we'll see him fighting for this. And so I want to keep putting this in front of you. Uh, this would be something great to write in the margin of your Bible, to write on a post-it note and stick it in Galatians. This is what Paul is fighting for. Salvation is in Jesus alone. It's in the grace and the person of Jesus alone, period. Secondly, salvation comes by faith alone. It doesn't come by faith plus checking a few boxes, understanding a few requirements. I, I have Jesus and there's a few requirements and I have to do this, that, and this and that. And then, and then I belong into the family of God. And then I can embrace what salvation is for me. And so when we say salvation is Jesus alone by faith alone... 
um, this, is a, a, this is a part, we have to understand it as this is set apart from following any set of requirements, rules, traditions, expectations whatsoever. It is separate from the law of Moses. And thirdly, salvation is for the Gentiles as much as it is for the Jews. Salvation is for the world. It is for every single person. Um, he got this message that you see on the screen. This is the message that he got directly from Jesus by revelation. Um, we said in chapter 1 a few times he's demonstrating as he builds his case to the churches in Galatia that the gospel message that he is proclaiming uh, is not dependent in any way on any any person, any man, any human tradition, it's not dependent upon any of those things. In chapter 2, he will, he will demonstrate that not even the message that he proclaims is dependent upon what he calls the Jerusalem pillars. So he's distinguishing his message as a message that he received from Jesus himself. No man, no tradition, not even the Jerusalem pillars. And when he says, when we read this in a minute, the Jerusalem pillars that he's referring to is Peter and James and John. Three of the 12 uh, disciples of Jesus. Uh, we could say that Peter, James, and John were really even a part of an inner circle with Jesus among the 12. I mean, they got to go up on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus appeared with Elijah and Moses. There, were, there, were, there was space for Peter, James, and John with Jesus. And so Paul calls them the Jerusalem pillars. And he says in our text today that, they, that even they have given Paul's message uh, the right hand of fellowship. In other words, they blessed Paul and the message of the gospel. And they said, Paul, we understand and we see, yes, we're in alignment with the gospel of grace in Jesus alone, faith alone. You are called to go to the non-Jews or the Gentiles. And we are called to go to the Jews. And we're taking this message together to the world. Uh, and so these three pillars, Paul will, will, will say today, it's like even Peter, James, and John have blessed the message that I am proclaiming, which is the pure grace gospel message. Uh, before we start reading the text, uh, I want to just bring in two more people that are players in our text today. We'll read about uh, Barnabas today and we'll read about Titus uh, in our text today. Uh, let me explain them just a moment. We'll talk more about them in just a minute as well. Barnabas, uh, basically these are two guys that Paul has uh, brought along with him. They are disciples of Paul. They are a part of his ministry in Antioch, uh, where it's, which is his home church, his home base for all of his missionary journeys. And it's interesting to uh, unpack who Barnabas and Titus were. Because Barnabas was a Levite. He was from the tribe of Levi, which means he grew up Jewish, which means that he was circumcised according to the old covenant of law. Titus was Greek, meaning he was a Gentile, meaning this, there was no circumcision for Titus according to the old covenant law. So these two guys who are disciples of Paul, he brings with him in a visit down to Jerusalem. And we saw in chapter 1, um, a few years after Paul was converted to Christianity, Acts chapter 9, he visits Jerusalem for the first time. He goes down and he uh, meets with Peter for about two weeks. And he engages with Peter and it's a, it's a, it's a, it was a very brief um, dialogue that he gives us in Genesis 
I'm not Genesis, Galatians. I keep saying Genesis instead of Galatians every week, it seems. Um, so he goes down to Jerusalem to meet Peter briefly. In our text today, 14 years pass between chapter 1 and chapter 2. So he goes back up to uh, his home area. Um, he's in Antioch. Uh, he's really unknown to the churches down in Judea in the Jerusalem area. And so 14 years later, he goes back to Jerusalem. And we're going to read about that in just a minute. And he brings, he brings Barnabas, who's a believer and a follower of Jesus who grew up Jewish. And he brings Titus, who was a Gentile, also a follower of Jesus. Likely they were converts, early converts to uh, Paul's missionary efforts. Um, so with that said, let's, let's bring up the first text. We're going to read the, we're going to do this kind of in three, three different sections. We'll read um, verses 1 through 5, then we'll read 6 through 10, and then we'll read 11 through 14, and we'll talk about each section as we go along. So Galatians 2, 1 to 5. Paul says, 14 years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, and I took Titus Along also, Titus, the letter, the pastoral letter, Titus, that's, that's who Paul wrote the letter to later in our New Testament. I went in response to a revelation. And then I set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles, which we just looked at a few minutes ago. Like that message is what I put before them. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. He, he wanted their affirmation. He wanted the affirmation of the pillars of Jerusalem, the message that he was proclaiming among the Gentiles. Verse 3, yet not even Titus, hear this, yet not even Titus, who was, remember Titus was Greek, right? He wasn't, wasn't Jewish. There's no circumcision in Titus's life, yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was Greek. Verse 4, this matter arose. What matter? Wait a minute, you, Titus hasn't been circumcised yet? He's a follower of Jesus and he hasn't been circumcised yet? Like, so this matter arises in Jerusalem on this visit. So the matter arose. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. And we did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. Barnabas accompanies Paul. I think it was a strategy move, honestly, for Paul to bring Barnabas. He was known among the Judean churches. And so um, there's a relationship there. Paul was unknown to the Judean churches. He had had a brief visit with Peter, but he was relatively unknown. And so um, this strategic relational move in bringing someone that they knew who also was a Jewish believer in Christ uh, to affirm and confirm Paul's ministry. So he brings Barnabas. But I believe that Titus was also a strategy move for Paul, but in a different way. He is, again, likely one of Paul's early converts. And his testimony, who Titus was, full of the spirit, character, following Jesus, who he was known to be. His testimony communicates that God is certainly at work among the Gentiles, just as he is among the Jews. 
and he hadn't been circumcised. And so again, Paul is building a case to the Galatian churches that it's Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals the gospel. And so I have affirmation from the Jewish pillars. I'm bringing Titus alone. It's obvious his testimony, God is at work in his life. And they didn't even ask Titus to be circumcised. Here's the context as a reminder of the book of Galatians. The false message that the Judaizers brought up to Galatia after, after Paul had left was Jesus plus the law. Right? Specifically, the message was Jesus plus circumcision. And that was the false gospel that Paul is talking about in chapter 1. And so Paul's argument, I believe, couldn't be more clear about the testimony of Titus. That if God had chosen and was using Titus, an uncircumcised Gentile, then certainly circumcision was not required to join the people of God. The pillars of Jerusalem, Peter himself and James and John, they didn't even demand Titus to be circumcised. So Paul's gospel that he received directly from Jesus by revelation and that he proclaims does not demand adopting a Jewish way of life and does not require submission to the Mosaic law. It's a really important statement. I'm going to read it again. Paul's gospel that he proclaims, that he receives directly by revelation from Jesus, does not demand adopting a Jewish way of life and does not require submission to the Mosaic law. This is the crux of the war that Paul was in. And when I talk about that phrase, the crux of the war that Paul was in, the language that he uses is warfare. Did you pick up the warfare language as we read verses 4 and 5? Here's the language. Infiltrated, they have infiltrated our ranks. They have infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ. It's warfare language. They have infiltrated our ranks to make us slaves again. They're infiltrating so that they can make us, physically force us to be slaves again. This must be understood as forcing, active forcing these new Gentile believers to live under the law of Moses. Perhaps a simpler way to understand it is forcing new believers to mix the grace message of Jesus with the law message of Moses for salvation and for belonging in the church, right? That is, that is what Paul is talking about. And let me just say this, when you mix, when you mix old covenant law with new covenant grace, do you know what you get? When you mix grace with law, what do you get? You get law, you get requirements. That's, that's what you get when you mix it. You get slavery again to the law, any mixing of law and grace moves the message away from the pure grace gospel message that Paul is proclaiming. He'll say uh, later, he'll make this analogy later in chapter 5. He says a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. A little leaven of law leavens the entire lump of dough of grace. Like you can't mix, you don't mix Grace and law 
together. Uh, and so for Paul, like living according to law, living according to rules, living according to traditions, living according to self-effort, living according to behavior modification is a lie that has demoralized and defeated Christians for generations on generations on generations. And only, only a revelation of pure grace, of gospel, Jesus only, faith only grace brings true freedom. And so Paul's response to this like warfare language, this infiltration of our ranks to spy on our freedom and make us slaves. Here's Paul's response to that reality. It's the theme of the letter. I think, I think verse 5, Galatians 2.5 is a, is a theme of the entire letter. He says, we did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you, with us. He says the same thing in chapter 5, verse 1. It's the same theme. He says the same thing just in a different uh, wording. He says, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Paul is at war for freedom in Christ. He is at war for the pure grace gospel message. Let's keep reading 6 to 10. After he says, we did not give in to them for a moment, he says, and, and as for those who seem to be important, you know, people, people want to look imp religiously important. I read this and I go, people who seem to be important, remember they're in Jerusalem, it's like, we dress the part and we look the part and we sound the part, you know. And uh, I grew up in a more traditional church culture and the ministers wore like robes and sashes and as a kid I was just kind of always like why don't they just dress like normal why don't we put all like the robes and the, I mean you guys may have grown up in those traditions as well I just for me as a kid I was just like it didn't make sense I they I wanted to be they wanted to have me be an uh, it's called an acolyte you guys know what I'm talking about like we would march down the church with a with a candle and we would and they wanted us to wear white robes I'm like I'm not gonna wear a white robe you know just Dressing my turtleneck that my mom made me wear, you know. Um, but he, you, you can see people, they, they look and they act the way and they, they seem to be important because they want you to think that they are important. And so whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. Saucy, right? Like Paul's like, I don't care. I don't care how you dress, what you look like. You look all religious. You sound all religious. It doesn't make any difference to me. God isn't judged by external appearance anyway. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. Just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God who has at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given me. It's this public affirmation. It's public affirmation of Paul's message and his ministry and his calling. They recognized the grace given to me and they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles, he and Barnabas and Titus, and that they would go to the Jews. 
And all that they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing that I was very eager to do. Let's unpack these um, verses. Paul's smart. Uh, He's shrewd. He's wise. He leverages the pillars. Peter, James, John, and James, the brother of Jesus. Uh, James, the brother of Jesus, was the leader of the Jerusalem New Covenant Church. And he's leveraging these pillars of Jerusalem to convince his readers of what he proclaims. Again, Jesus alone, faith alone, to Gentiles and to Jews. What he proclaims is true. And while his gospel is independent, is not conditioned upon any man or any tradition, um, it's not dependent upon these pillars, it's also endorsed by them. It's also endorsed by Peter, James, and John. He added, he emphasizes, they added nothing to my message. Meaning they didn't add Moses and they didn't add the law to the grace message, the radical grace message that Paul was proclaiming. In other words, what he's saying is we're all preaching the same message. I'm preaching the exact same message that Peter, James, and John are preaching. We're just, we're being called by the Lord to different target audiences. I'm being called to non-Jews, Gentiles, and they are being called to Jews. Paul and Barnabas and Titus are empowered, and Peter, James, and John also empowered. Um, I love the phrase, they recognized the grace in Paul, and they gave him the right hand of fellowship. Theologically, they're on the same page. They They had a unity in the message, a unity in the theology of what the gospel of grace is. And now publicly, these pillars were showing people in Jerusalem, and Paul is telling the Galatian churches this, that, 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 that there was a, a unity in the fellowship that they had as well. Paul is not against Peter, James, and John. It was the Judaizers, the false teachers, who were coming up to Galatia against the truth and these Jerusalem pillars. Now, as we continue to read, I, I want to, there's, a, there's a, a, a gap in the story. And so Paul's building his case, he's building his case, uh, and he goes to the next story. And the the context of this chapter moves from uh, what's happening in Jerusalem to back up to Antioch. And I think I I have a map to show you on this. So I put this up last week. So Paul, when we go from verse 10 to verse 11, there's a physical context change. So Paul, uh, at at the beginning of the chapter is here in Jerusalem, uh, in the region of Judea. And as we get to verse 11, they're moving up north on the Mediterranean Sea to Antioch, his home church, uh, here. And what we're going to see as we get there is that Paul has come down to Jerusalem a couple times. And now as we get into the next part of the story, now Peter comes up to Antioch. Peter's going to actually come and visit uh, Paul in Antioch. And it's it's one of the strongest... um, it's one of the strongest confrontations uh, that we see in the scripture about what, what, what's happening here. Antioch, again, uh, Paul's home base as a missionary, uh, which makes sense, right? It makes sense that Paul would be in Antioch because he was called not to the Jews in Israel, but to the Gentiles. And so his home base was outside of Israel. Um, Peter and Paul, again, they were in lockstep 
in regards to the gospel, what the true gospel was in Jerusalem. But sometimes, sometimes the reality of peer pressure and fear can get us off track. Would you guys agree with that? Like there's a reality of peer pressure and fear that can disrupt how we live our lives or choices that we make. Uh, maybe some of us could uh, stand up and share some middle school and high school stories. Shall we? Just kidding. Let's not do that. But just to kind of get us in the place of going, you know what? Peer pressure and fear kind of has a strong effect in our lives. And sometimes it has such a strong effect in our lives that it will move us to make choices that are directly opposite to our theology. We say we believe this. We, we, we proclaim what is true. We proclaim what we believe. And our desire truly is to follow in the way of Jesus. But we're in a context, in a situation where there's a really strong sense of peer pressure and fear. And our behavior doesn't reflect what we believe. And that's what is going to happen in Antioch in the life of Peter. Um, we slip. We fall. We act in ways that are inconsistent with what we believe. Um, that's Peter, and Peter's like us. And so I'm not going to, let's not throw shade at Peter necessarily, but just acknowledge what happens and know that, boy, I, we can be just like Peter. Uh, and there's a confrontation there between Peter and Paul. Pretty famous, uh, pretty famous story uh, of Paul opposing Peter in Antioch. So verse 11 to 14. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came up from James, James, the leader of the Jerusalem church, so Jewish Christians, you with me right now? Antioch, Gentile Christians, Jerusalem, Jewish Christians. Grew up different, different traditions, different ways of understanding how we relate to God. So different, it's hard to even understand how different it was. Before certain men came up from James, Peter, he used to eat with the Gentiles. So before they came up, before some people from his home church, let's think of it that way, some people from Peter's like home church, they were down in Jerusalem. He was up with the Gentile church just hanging out. And he was enjoying the fellowship and he was there. Before some people from his home church, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, when the homies from his home church arrived, he began, Peter began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. He was afraid of their judgment. And the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Even Barnabas, Paul's disciple, was led astray by their hypocrisy. Paul says, when I, saw what they, I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, in front of them all, in front of them all, it's a, it was a public uh, display of prejudice. It was a public display of judgment. It was a public display of leaving the freedom of the gospel back to legalism. And so Paul publicly rebukes Peter. I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile. Like you were up here hanging with us. You were up here like eating, eating with us and hanging with us up here in Antioch. And you live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How is it then that now you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Specifically, I think the context here is 
Jewish kosher laws about what is uh, okay to eat and what is not okay to eat. He's like, you're up here one minute like hanging out with us and eating and it's all good. And then some homies from your home church come up and now you're like separating this thing and you're forcing Gentiles to now come under these Jewish traditions and these Jewish kosher laws. Um, That's the confrontation. It's one of the strongest relational confrontations we see in the New Testament. Um, A confrontation between two Christians, a confrontation between two leaders, a confrontation between two apostles, Peter and Paul. Um, Again, Peter was initially willing to shed something that was so ingrained into him as a Jew. Food and table restrictions. If you want to write this down and understand how Peter was raised up as a Jew around um, table restrictions, uh, Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14 talk a lot about the food restrictions. Um, Again, it's so hard for us to understand how ingrained this was for Peter. Most notably, most of us know about bacon, right? Like we know like, oh, bacon, pork, right? That was... Uh, but there, there were a lot of other restrictions on Jewish food laws as well. And they functioned. Here was the function of the Jewish food laws. To separate Jews from Gentiles. To give them a sacred identity as God's chosen people. That was a purpose of that in the old covenant. But Peter is now a proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus and the freedom of the new covenant. And he goes up to Antioch to see Paul and his home church, and things start out pretty well for Peter. Like he's, he, is, he is shedding something of legal requirements that was so ingrained in him his whole life. And he was stepping into some newfound freedom in his life. Perhaps for the very first time, Peter was enjoying some baby back ribs and some shrimp scampi. And he was enjoying it. He's like, oh my gosh. Give me some more barbecue on the ribs. He was also enjoying fellowship, like true fellowship with Gentile Christians in Antioch. And this was huge. This was a huge testimony, a huge proclamation about the unity between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians to be a part of a new covenant church following Jesus. The sharing of table fellowship that had separated Jews from Gentiles, uh, now together was a powerful symbol of Paul's message. Paul was loving it. But then some people from James, again, hear this, Jewish believers from Peter's home church, probably, they came up, and when they came up, it's like Peter could probably sense their presence. He didn't have to say anything. He's like enjoying the table fellowship, and he sees them coming, and when he sees them there, he feels their judgment, This isn't what we do, bro. And he gets up from the table and he removes himself from the Gentile table. And he brings other Jewish Christians with him, even Barnabas, who was Paul's disciple. And they separate again by legalism and by traditions and by expectations and by requirements. And this is what Paul gets after him for. If I could paint the picture for you, it would be like this. 
you and I are enjoying some time together with some new believers from a totally different culture. Which, by the way, if you've never had an opportunity to enjoy table fellowship with people from a totally different culture, they look like you, they dress like you, they act like you, they speak of the name of Jesus, go someplace and have that experience. Like, Get an experience like that. So we're, we're, we're doing that. We're not in our hometown. We're not in, our, we're not in Fort Collins. We are in some totally different culture with believers in Christ. But they look different. They dress different. They act different. But they're Jesus people. And they're not locked up in some of the traditions that we have in the American uh, church. They're not, they're not locked up by, um, you know, wearing a turtleneck or a button-down shirt tucked in. They're not, uh, they're not locked into the church service has to be done at 12 because we got Sunday dinner to get to here. They're not locked into some of those traditions and expectations. You guys with me right now? They're not locked into that stuff. Uh, and we're, we're with them and we're eating their food and we're drinking their drink and we're laughing and we're dancing. But then some folks that we didn't know were also coming, they, they came from our home church and they don't see too kindly to baby back ribs and Coors Light and hip-hop music, right? And we feel judged in the moment. Like we're tasting something of freedom that we've ne we haven't tasted before in this different culture. And their very presence and their judgmental looks on their faces says it all. What in the are you doing right now? What do you think you're doing? enjoying hip-hop music, right? And instead of remaining in our freedom with our new friends who are Jesus' people and our newfound friendship, we revert back away from our new friends and they feel judged and separated as we do it. That's what happened. That's what happened in the Antioch church. Peter, he got manipulated by guilt and by human traditions, he got afraid and he got controlled. You see, fear and control are opposite sides of the same coin. They're twin, they're twin brothers, twin sisters. They're twins. He got afraid and he got controlled. And you can get people to do a lot of things if you can get them afraid. You can get people, you can, you can modify a lot of behavior if you can get them to be afraid. And Peter got controlled in his fear and he left the table he left acting in accordance with the true message of grace and freedom and the fellowship of believers. See, the table that Peter was enjoying in Antioch was a beautiful picture of gospel unity. And then when Peter separated himself, it became a table of separation again. His behavior was incongruent with the truth of the gospel, right? What he was doing was incongruent with what he was proclaiming. And he began demonstrating a different gospel by his reverse behavior. A gospel that was now mixing conversion to Christ with Judaism, traditions, and laws. And it was negatively impacting Barnabas. And Paul was not going to have it. And he opposes Peter directly and publicly. I'm not sure what we would think about that today. Like what we read in this passage, like what Paul did, honestly. 
like when he called him out publicly because his, his, dis, his behavior was such a display of a false message of the gospel publicly and Paul is fighting for the theological truth of the gospel and he opposes him and rebukes him to his face and he calls him a hypocrite in front of everybody. Like, I'm not sure, like, I'm not sure how that would go today. I'm not sure if we would like Paul, to be honest. Like, I'm not sure, I mean, I think he would be like, man, he's super judgmental. Super, and slow your roll, Paul, you know, like, but Paul is battling for the truth. He's at war for the truth of the gospel. And the truth of the matter is, when Peter separated, he was mixing the covenants again. And that is not the gospel message. And he needed the people in Antioch, and he needed the Galatian churches to know this is the pure gospel. He engaged his brother. Like, he didn't, he didn't gossip about him. I think this is kind of relevant. He didn't go behind his back and talk about him. He didn't post about it on his Instagram story. He didn't do any of that. I don't think they had Instagram back then, but they may have had it some, some, some way. He, he relationally engaged his brother. I was thinking of the verse in Proverbs 27, better are the wounds of a friend than a kiss from an enemy. I believe that, I'm not sure if Paul and Peter were ever like best buds, honestly. But they were co-laborers in the gospel. And they needed to have unity uh, in that. Um, and what Paul, what Peter was doing, and the language that Paul uses is he was forcing Gentile believers to follow Jewish customs. And the word force in verse, um, in verse 14 is like force. It's like against your will. Like by him separating from that table, he was forcing other Gentile believers to follow those Jewish kosher laws and customs. And Paul was like, no, he's not having it. And he calls his behavior uh, hypocritical. It's like a church guilting people to dress a certain way before they come to church and feel accepted. You know, you ever felt like you showed up someplace and you were dressed a little bit more casual than everyone else. And you're just kind of feeling like, ooh, feel weird and awkward and judged, right? I can tell you that I've had conversations with people about coming to this church, they're like, hey, what, what, what do I need to dress like? Why would they ask that question? Because they think there's some expectation that I have and that you have of people that if I'm actually going to be accepted, I need to dress like everybody else. And that is the legalism that Paul is coming against in this book. He is coming against that very thing. There's some requirement of me. His hypocritical behavior was theologically wrong and it was dangerous. Um, for Paul, the gospel is at stake. The very truth of the gospel is at stake. It was then and it is today. And it is a gospel of pure grace. It is not a gospel of grace plus law, grace plus requirements, grace plus expectation. Prejudice and division, that is what was happening when Peter removed himself from the table. Prejudice and division and separation is not the call of the gospel. The gospel of grace and freedom, that is the pure gospel. And the call of the gospel is to believe in that grace and the empowering Holy Spirit will transform your life, not fear and control and manipulation and guilt. I believe that right believing leads to right living. And we're all in process, certainly. Peter was certainly in process. Right believing leads to right living. A revelation of true grace leads to a life transformation in our lives. Uh, Peter was wrong because his behavior 
self-reflected wrong theology, a mixing of grace and traditions and laws. And so his wrong behavior was what Paul called out. And Peter, Peter needed more of a revelation. He needed more revelation. He had already proclaimed the message. We see, we see the, the, the proclamation of Peter in the beginning story of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4, like read that, that incredibly impassioned uh, message from Peter. Like, but he needed more because he was tripping up in the Gentile church in Antioch. Peter needed more revelation of pure grace so that his life would change to reflect the truth of the gospel. To which I wrote in my notes, don't we all need more of that? Don't we all need more revelation so that our lives will truly reflect the gospel in our lives. And that we would have the wisdom to know when any root, any legalistic requirement gets in the way of what is actually true. And that is it is all of Jesus and it is all of grace and it is only by faith. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Lord, thank you for um, the opportunity to engage in your word. Thank you for this letter that Paul wrote to us. Um, Lord, we understand and see today that, it is, that he is warring against legalism. Um, and Lord, we see today too that it can creep in, that legalism can creep in to followers of Jesus. And we, we can lead others astray in that, Lord. So protect us. Help us understand pure gospel grace and so that we live free where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Invite other people to live free in the gospel as well. In Jesus' name we pray.